league-wide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you. Non-game day versions. That's all we got now. <laughs> That's all we got. Yeah. I mean, of course, there'll be the NHL playoffs, but as far as the Canucks are concerned, uh, non-game day versions here on out. But yeah, as we said on the post-game pod, we'll be here with you throughout the playoffs, right up until free agency. We do know one thing about the Canucks. 3% is what it is, their draft lottery odds. And I know our buddy David Alter from Rinkwide in Toronto, he he did the uh, tankathon. He he ended up getting the Canucks right off the bat. I can tell you I did it 20 times this morning. I think the Canucks fell in 11th spot probably 75% of the time. They got as high as second once, but I did not win the draft lottery. So there you are, 3%. That just shows you how difficult it's going to be for the Canucks to win the lottery. Yeah, and we'll get the uh, official draft positioning on May the 8th. That's when the lottery balls will be drawn. It's the 14th of April, so a couple of weeks of speculation. I think people's thumbs and fingers are going to get a workout <laughs> running oh, yeah. the Tankathon simulator <laughs> uh, between now and then. Have some fun with it, but ultimately it's the lottery balls that bounce around behind closed doors uh, in Toronto, I think, is where they always do the, the draft lottery, so... You know, it sucks. It does. Like, you wake up and this is it. And we did a post-game pod after each and every game, one last night after the win in Arizona. And then you, you know, you wake up the day after and you're like, that is it. Like, as much as the season sucked, ultimately, and there's no playoff hockey for the Canucks, I mean, doing the post-game pods was a blast all year. Yeah, And so you're right. Now we get a steady diet of non-game day pods and there'll still be lots to chew on. I mean, look. We've all been in this business a while. We've all dealt with the last decade where playoff games have been few and far between. So people are like, what are you talking about? Don't worry. There's no shortage of things to talk about in the offseason when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. And this one, like so many others, is going to be fascinating. There's going to be some plot twists and turns. But, man, I just wish that, like, four days here before game one of the playoffs and the ramp up to a playoff series and breaking down matchups and all that kind of stuff. And someday... Someday we'll get there, but that day is not today. So, you know, I joked on Twitter that it was like waking up this morning and I felt like I had watched a movie that, you know, I didn't fully grasp. You know, I spent two hours and sat there in the theater, enjoyed some popcorn, but wasn't really sure what I watched when it came to the Canucks season and to what end, all the individual accomplishments, but those were just empty calories. Like that was like, all those player performances are just the big bag of popcorn, right? Like they tasted good and they were, you know, greasy fingers, but at the end, they're to what end? Nothing ultimately. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, the movie had some incredible stunt scenes and car chases and, you know, cinematography and there were some funny lines and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't fully get the plot. And that's yeah. kind of where I am here yeah. uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. And that, that sums it up really well, because I think Canuck fans are probably out there are at the same point as well. When you think about the season, you know, like we talked about it on the postgame pod last night, like Elias Pettersson, 100 points, you know, Quinn Hughes within a remarkable season, you know, JT Miller doing what JT Miller does, but then just looking at everything else. And it's just like, well, the rest was the same. So some guys had some standout seasons. Obviously, Andre Kuzmenko's first year was fantastic as well. But as we broke down in the postgame pod, like there's just too many flaws. There was too many holes in the plot, if you will, yeah. with this team. And ultimately there is, yeah, some heavy lifting to do now in the off season and maybe break it down a little bit. Now you talked about, you know, there's going to be lots of stuff to talk about just where we're at in terms of dates, like what's next, what's ahead here for the Canucks. What can the fans expect? Yeah. Well, we're going to hear from the players full off day after traveling home from Arizona and just giving them the data decompress at the end of the season. 
but they will have their exit meetings on Saturday at Rogers Arena and they'll run the media gauntlet one last time. So, you know, I always find it interesting on that last day. Remember last year was, and again, like I got Ben Kuzma's back. I think the question came from the right place. I think any question to Brock Besser probably was going to result in Besser sort of breaking down, but that was tough last year. And that was on locker cleanout day when, you know, he was asked about the struggles of his season and then quickly came apparent that his dad was gravely ill and then ultimately passed a few weeks later. So hopefully nothing that dramatic at the locker cleanout day. But, you know, a lot of times we will find out a little bit more about uh, what guys played through. Perhaps if anybody needs postseason surgery of any kind, you know, I'm sure questions will be put to a lot of the key guys about the world championships. Will their seasons continue? Or as Rick Tockett has said, like, are they going to use this time to really start building up to next year? I mean, most guys take they give themselves certainly a month. Some of them give them two months. I think a lot of guys look at, you know, the first week of July to get back onto the ice and, and sort of ramp up their training for next year. But they're humans. They've had a long season. If a guy wants to go lay on the beach for a week, like they don't get vacation time other than an all-star break. So uh, you can't begrudge anybody that wants to a little downtime with the family. But yeah, so last chance to meet with the players officially tomorrow for the media. Then on Monday, it's Rick Tockett and Patrick Alvin. thought it was interesting in the Connect Media release, uh, Jim Rutherford, nowhere to be seen. So this is going to be the Patrick Alvin rick Tockett show on Monday. And, you know, there's certainly going to be some pointed questions. And Alvin himself was the guy that said, hey, where are the banners? You know, this is another season that doesn't result in any banners. So there are going to be some direct questions for the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. I would think that... Uh, you know, Tanner Pearson's name will probably come up on Monday to try to get more of an update there. And ultimately, what is his future from the hockey club standpoint? Do they still consider him an option at this stage? Is there still too much uncertainty with Tanner Pearson? So, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about offseason plans and, and projections for the hockey club. But uh, that'll take place on Monday. And then I would imagine that the staff will sit down and really start to dig in on what they saw over the, the season, but really the last 36 games. And that's when Rick Tockett took over on January 22nd. He ends up winning 20 of the final 36 games. You know, so he's got a body of work. And I would think that staff will, you know, drill down individually on some of the players, some of the systems, structure. We certainly heard that word enough over the last couple of years in this marketplace. And then, you know, in terms of dates on the calendar, I mean, Abbotsford playing in the playoffs. I'm sure management will be keeping a pretty close eye on what's going on there. The first series is a best of three with all the games played in Abbotsford. So remember last year, they had to go to Bakersfield and they flamed out. They lost their first two and that was it for their playoffs. Let's hope that there's a longer playoff run for, for the Abbotsford Canucks this time around. But they'll start with a series out in Abbotsford. You know, then you get to the draft lottery. Then there's going to have to be some serious decisions made about, you know, while the playoffs are going on, this is time that management will have to really drill down on what it's got, what it needs, prepare a wish list, things like qualifying offers. You know, you can start to talk to other teams. I don't anticipate that we'd see any trade activity until closer to the draft, but you can certainly, you know, kick tires with other teams and try and lay the groundwork then. And and then, of course, uh, by the time you get to middle of June, you've got the draft and beyond that free agency. So, again, you think you sit here, okay, it's the 14th of April. Draft's not until mid-June or past mid-June, like two months, but it goes by like it does. It, you know, hey, time marches on pretty quickly here. And then, of course, it reaches that fever pitch of the draft and free agency. And so from 
that third week of June, the first couple of days of July, you know, a fair bit of activity in terms of shaping your hockey club for next season. Where do you think the fans are at with Patrick Alvin on his first year in the on the job? Uh, you know, I, I think that there was uh, a fair bit of angst. Just you went that long stretch there where we really didn't hear from him much, and it felt like the team was burning to the ground around him. And you know, the guy that's supposed to be in charge, the architect was nowhere to be found. We started to hear from him a little bit more at the uh, introduction of Rick Tockett and again around the trade deadline, the Horvat trade. Like there were some, you know, public appearances he had. I mean, that's part of his job. Like, you know, you make these decisions, you trade your captain. Yeah, you're going to face the media and be asked some questions and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think we started to hear from him a little bit more. Ultimately, he's judged on his actions more than his words. But uh, I, I think when you step back and you look at, I mean, Andre Kuzmenko was a terrific find. Like, that's a massive win for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, we weren't in that room, but it's so clear now that Patrick Alvin and Dan Milstein have a really solid working relationship. And I think that paid off. And and so they landed Kuzmenko. And then, uh, you know, later in the season, whether it was Aiden McDonough and convincing him to, and he was a couple of months away from going the free agent route. And yet they were able to sell him a vision and, sort of show him the opportunities, convinced him to sign, you know, the free agents that they got here of late, you know, the, the big goalie that they signed as well. You know, Patrick Alvin has had some wins this year. There weren't enough on the ice, obviously, with the hockey yeah. club. But, but you know, I, I do think, you know, when Rutherford took over first and foremost, and he came in with this reputation of Trader Jim, and we thought that he was, you know, I remember it his first day on the job back after they had fired Jim Benning, and he said, you know, I'm going to give it till the end of January, kind of to see where we are. And I think most people thought, oh, man, like when January, end of January comes, like, look out. And by then, the Bruce Boudreaux effect had taken over. They were starting to play some better hockey. They had come through COVID. And Trader Jim was nowhere to be seen. And so there hasn't been nearly the trade activity under this management group that maybe I thought there would be. And yet in saying that, there hasn't been much trade activity around the National Hockey League. And when you look at some of the deals, whether it was Horvat, whether it was bringing in an Ethan Bear, you know, the Canucks were involved in, you know, the few hockey trades that were made throughout the season. So I think that just tells you it's tougher in this flat cap era to make trades first and foremost. And I don't think it was for a lack of trying, but the Vancouver Canucks were out there making deals, traded Luke Shenaway, obviously, at the deadline. Uh, so, yeah, he was never going to be a miracle worker. And I think people have to understand that, that... It's become abundantly clear that, you know, they inherited a bit of a cap mess. Now, they've added to it with guys like Mikheyev and electing to re-sign Besser and, you know, some of those moves. But now, the, you know, they went through last offseason where they didn't accomplish a lot in terms of, you know, untangling the, the salary cap mess that they, they had. This is another year. I don't think that they can let it go by. Like, I think people will be up in arms if we get to the end of the summer and the Vancouver Canucks still have most of these names that we've been kicking around for you know, however long now, all on the book still part of this roster. So it's going to be a delicate dance. It's going to be difficult. Uh, there's going to be some pain. It may require some buyouts, whatever the case. Again, that's why this offseason is fascinating, but it is so damn important for the Vancouver Canucks if they're going to start moving this in the right direction, have to allocate their money better. There's just way too much of it spent on ineffective contracts on the back end, too much of it in the wing position as well. You know, they've got to figure out a way how to maximize and optimize what they're working with. It can be done. Boston Bruins are proof of that, putting together one of the greatest seasons in hockey history. Now, you know, do they have some legacy guys on value deals? Sure, there are circumstances, but 
somebody's winning the Stanley Cup, pretty good chance it'll be the Boston Bruins, whatever the case. I'm, my point is that there are lots of teams that have given themselves a chance to win this year's Stanley Cup by managing the cap a whole lot better than the Vancouver Canucks have this year, the last bunch of years. And what happened in the past? Yeah, it impacts this group. But guess what? The old regime's not here. These guys were brought in to make changes, to get all this under control. This is their job now, and they have to do it this offseason. Was their biggest mistake holding on to Bruce Boudreaux? Uh, In hindsight, I suppose you look at that and you think, okay, if they had made the changes earlier, maybe they get a few more wins. You know, ultimately, their biggest mistake was not wrapping Thatcher Demko in in bubble wrap. And that was, you know, out of their control. But, But, you know, at the same time, when would you have fired Bruce Boudreaux? And, you know, I, well, they were dragging him at the, after the training camp, remember? Well, that's just it. And so I'm saying, like, you know, when they got out of the gates 0 7, like, you know, should they have in hindsight? Maybe. I mean, they knew he wasn't their guy and they certainly didn't hold back on just about every opportunity to let the world know that with public comments, whether it was on after hours on hockey night or on the, you know, the, the right shoulder radio. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, how different, but again, there was this PR struggle of the way that the market had just embraced Bruce and fallen in love with them. And I wonder if that had like, is why they held on I, to him. Oh, I think absolutely that that was a factor that yeah. can you, I mean, look, they didn't win the PR battle this season, trust me, <laughs> but you know, how different would that PR like, okay, there was going to be a loss. You had to take the L on the PR battle. You know, would they have been better to rip the Band-Aid in the offseason and say, like, yeah, he did some incredible things, but we just think that Rick Tockett's our guy moving forward here. You know, you would have taken a pounding in the court of public opinion then. But guess what? All you did was set yourself up to take probably an even worse one in January by the way you dragged him all season. So I don't, you know, I don't know that they are ever going to come out on top in just the reaction from a fan base that truly loved sort of Grandpa Bruce there behind the bench. I mean, he he was an incredible figure. He was. He was lovable. He was huggable. And when I think of this season, that's probably my enduring moment was the night against the Oilers where he was a dead man walking. He knew it. Everybody knew it. And just unlike anything that we've ever seen at this level of a guy tapping his heart there behind the bench. Like, I mean, I think back all these months later and it still kind of gets to me. Yeah, uh, but it seems like so long ago, right? I know, I know it does. Yeah. Like, and I think one of the things that they did well, because this was going to be a difficult season for them PR wise, regardless for everything you just broke yeah. down there. But one of the things I think they've done well here is calm the waters, right? Like it feels like two different seasons right now between what happened with Boudreaux and where they're at right now with talking. It's wild to think that it's only been about eight months since JT Miller signed his extension. Like, that was at the start of this hockey season. That feels like a lifetime ago to me. And you're right. Between that and then the fallout of that leading to nonstop speculation about Bo's future here and Bruce Boudreaux, like, they went months there where they were the lead story every day on the insider hockey, insider trading panels and the national shows and and 32 shots and hockey day every weekend. Like it was incredible. Like every single week. I mean, other markets must have like enough with the Canucks. I think people in Vancouver were like enough with the Canucks news. And so you're right. Uh, They've got their guy in Rick Tockett. Temperature and the volume level absolutely has been lowered. And that part's good. There was too much noise there for way too long. Way too much. But now in this calmer water environment they've got to get you know roll their sleeves up and get at it because this team's not good enough 
We know that. They have to know that. There are pieces. There's no question. But again, they have to identify the areas of weakness, and then they've got to attack them in the offseason. And can it all be done this summer? Probably not. I mean, there are still bloated contracts that are going to hamper them. I mean, but wouldn't it be incredible if, uh, you know, they got the green light from ownership and were able to buy out OEL and trade Tyler Myers and reallocate that money and make some tough decisions on some of the forwards. And, you know, that's why I say it like requires an extreme makeover still, even though they've got lots of nice pieces. Can they complete and carry out the extreme makeover in this offseason? You know, buckle up, but we're about to find out. Do you think the handling of Bruce Boudreaux was the the sort of biggest owl that this management group took all year? Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, the decision ultimately to roll the dice on an unproven backup goaltender blew up in their face True. in a big way. Yeah. But you can never go into a season expecting injuries. I mean, yeah, you have to expect some, but you don't know who and for how long. And you're certainly not basing your plans on, all right, we're going to be without Thatcher Demko for 35 games. Your hope was that Thatcher Depko was going to be an Iron Man and and play at the level that he did all of last year under Bruce Boudreau, and that obviously didn't happen. Now they were up against it, and so one of the ways that they thought they could you know help themselves was to go with a cost effective backup goaltender. And look again, the line of thinking: Spencer Martin was spectacular in those six appearances the previous season. He earned himself a one way contract for the first time in the National Hockey League, but it was only six games. And as we saw, as the backup. Yeah, he was all right. When he became the guy, not so much. And that became apparent pretty quickly. So just the way they dragged Bruce and some of the needless comments that were made, like, again, this is a human being and a good man. He did deserve better. That page has been turned now. But as we reflect on the season as a whole, yeah, I I would say just hanging out to dry, blaming him, uh, you know, not supporting him with kind of goaltending that he needed ultimately behind Thatcher Demko. Yeah, I mean, that. no matter how you look at it, like, even if you want to say, like, just move on, like, that happened in the past. If you look at the 2022-23 Vancouver Canucks season in totality, Bruce Boudreaux remains a massive figure in the story of this past hockey season. Okay, then, so if that's the biggest L, then would the biggest W be Andre Kuzmenko, or could you make an argument that perhaps it was Rick Tockett? I think the jury's still out on Tockett. Like, you know, did he make some structural changes? Yes. Did they give up fewer goals? Yeah. Uh, but he also had Thatcher Demko for the final 25 games. And, and yep. uh, now Boudreaux had Demko for the first 20 games, but it was a different Thatcher Demko, obviously, as we saw. So I think Kuzmenko was the win. I mean, there were a lot of teams that wanted him. And even if he had been a 50-point guy, 25 and 25, that would have been a big win for the Vancouver Canucks. It turned out that he was a whole lot more than that. And you know, it's still a subject to great debate and what they should have done at the trade deadline with Kuzmenko. They elected to re-sign him. You know, again, I think they're going to be able to extract massive value out of that contract. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if he continues to play with Elias Pettersson and Pettersson, you know, levels up even further, even if it's just percentage point. Like, I'm not expecting a quantum leap from 102 points, but, you know, if Pettersson is, this is the real Elias Pettersson for the next bunch of years and Kuzmenko plays with him, then there's every reason to think that uh, he, even a step back, you know, 30 to 35 goals welcome for this hockey club. So I think without a doubt, that's the win. It was a capital W win for the organization. Uh, but as we say, like with the addition of Kuzmenko, with Pettersson having the season he did with Hughes, with Miller, Demko down the stretch, and here they sit, spinning their wheels and really just 
you know, damage their, their draft lottery odds. So to what end is the question? And, and I'm really interested to see sort of, you know, if nobody else asks, I will ask those questions on Monday, but I would imagine that those questions will be put to Patrick Elvine about ultimately was this like was gained by the coaching change because yeah, they won some games, but I mean, you have to be honest in your assessment of, you know, who they beat, how they beat them. Like, they beat Arizona twice this year, both of them in overtime. Like, they needed overtime to beat the Arizona Coyotes both times. They, you know, one goal wins against the Anaheim Ducks. Like, what are your takeaways from that? Like, you know, yay. You, yes, you get two points in the standings, but, uh, you know, they, they weren't convincing wins. We talked about it. They got outplayed pretty badly by the Coyotes last night in, in game 82. And, and you know, there were too many nights like that. You know, a 3 nothing win against Chicago last week, but it was a 2 nothing hockey game until Miller scores. They let the Blackhawks hang around. The Blackhawks, nothing on that roster. Like, you know, so, yes, they ended up being victories for the Canucks, but they were pretty hollow. And so I think that's going to be part of the difficulty for this management group is, You've got your guy in place. He did bring some structure. The penalty kill improved, certainly. And I think they identified that, you know, there were some guys that can. I mean, Dakota Joshua was given an opportunity. I think he can be a penalty killer here moving forward. Nils on. I would like to have seen Pod Colson get that opportunity. Obviously, he got hurt down the stretch, and I hope he heals up and can get into postseason action in the American Hockey League. But, you know, we're, we're not really sure. I guess more of these kinds of answers will come out here over the next bunch of days. Uh but yeah, like Kuzmenko was the win without a doubt. And I don't know, I don't know what you think. I just, to me, it's hard to truly adequately assess Rick talk at hockey board work and board battles. And, you know, I guess we all have to wait till after this big summer to see, you know, what kind of impact he has on this club. But damn it, I don't want to be the guy that didn't read the writing on the wall and doesn't come to camp in shape next year after all of the warning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I would agree that that Kuzmenko is the biggest W. I mean, how could you not? I mean, the guy comes in and almost uh, scores 40 goals for you. Uh, it just looks like he's going to be a great addition, somebody that has great chemistry with your best player and Elias Patterson as well. So that, of course, is, is a massive win. I think the Heronic deal, though, in, you know, I, I guess maybe the Horvat deal, when you sort of bring it all the way back, like that's a big W, I think, as well. And it maybe that's to be determined because we don't exactly know what Philip Ronick is. But just from what we saw and what he sort of projects to be with this team, like that was a glaring hole that they needed to fill. And they I think they filled it. Like, you know, he's 25 years old, so he fits well with the core in terms of the age group that they're trying to build around. And he's a right shot D man. And as we talked about on the postgame pod last night, like they got to start getting more offense from the blue line. And Philip Peronic looks to be a guy that can get you, you know, at least double digit goals, you know, 40, maybe 50, who knows really in terms of his production on the back end. But that to me, that's a big win. And then also too, I like the activity that Patrick Alvin has shown, whether it is the NCAA free agents that he was able to pluck, whether it was the free agents that he was able to bring in and like Nils Amon, like there's people in this market that are Nils Amon fans. There could be some Nils Amon jerseys being sold at the Canucks shop today, even. Coda Joshua is a, a good pickup. Looks like a guy that for everything you just broke down as well. So there's some W's. I don't think you can argue that there was any bigger than Andre Kuzmenko because of the production, but there's some underrated ones that I think might be still to be determined, but are trending well for the Canucks. Yeah. And, and, 
you know, back to the heroic trade, just because that was obviously a seismic shift organizationally to part with Bo Horvat. And I guess for a fleeting moment there, it looked like they had signaled they were packing it in on this season, even though the coaching change happened and Horvat played three more games and then they got to the all-star break. And that's when the, the Horvat deal went down. But for those, you know, a couple of days, I suppose they had, you know, they found a team in the Islanders that was willing to part with a first round pick. And that was the centerpiece. Forget Bovillier, forget Atu Ratu. It was, they found a team that was willing to move off first round pick and one that wasn't lottery protected next year, like had the potential to blow up in the Islanders' face. And so for a while there, it looked like, all right, the Canucks are signaling here that they're going after futures. And that's when the idea of the bottom falling out and, you know, truly being a contender in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, uh, you know, all that talk was there and it lasted all of a month. And then the Canucks take the assets that they get from the Islanders and package them for Phil Akronik. Now, there are a lot of critics in the market that say wrong time for this kind of trade. Like that's the kind of deal you make when you're on the verge of truly ramping up your, your status as, you know, a, a legitimate contender. I, I contend right shot defense was so clearly their biggest need and they had nobody from within. They weren't going to be able to address it from within. They haven't drafted right shot defensemen in forever. Should we have seen that trade coming though? Because of everything that they told us about their the core group, and because they weren't going to strip it down, right. we pretty right. much were told that. But I just think while they had that asset in their hands for the month that they did, I think people thought, "All right, like they're going to have a high draft pick, they're going to have a chance at like you know maybe even the top five odds, and maybe for once the lottery balls will will bounce their way." And then they went and they spent all that draft capital to bring in Philip Ronick. Now they needed to address the right shot right side of their defense they had to and it's not cheap it is the premium position that in goaltending i guess like elite goaltending it's a premium position in the national hockey league so i like heronic i like the player we only saw him for four games clearly not fully healthy in those four games but it felt like they there was a need there to to show off the piece that they got in game action rather than you know people would if he, if he didn't play for them like you got damaged goods, like really, like come on. So I think that there was a little organizational pressure just to parade him out there for the four games that he did. And, you know, he looked okay, but one of the games was against San Jose. I think one was in Chicago. This wasn't quality of competition, so impossible to gauge Philip Ronick on the four games that he played as a member of the Canucks. But I like the idea of the player, big shot. I think he's more physical than people think. I don't know if. You know, he's painted with the brush. Oh, he's a European. He doesn't play that style. No, this guy gets down and, you know, he's got some grease to his game and, and isn't afraid to to mix it up. And, and, you know, on occasion, some big hits on occasion on the wrong end of some big hits as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he got lit up by Reeves. Oh, yeah. my. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't laugh at it, but uh, you're right. Like, so, yes, he's going to be a and He was in the age range that they were looking for. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So, no, that's, so there I mean, were, you know, there were clues there. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they went all in like they traded, you know, again, the Red Wings were in the same boat as the Canucks and they elected to trade this player. And that is still sort of a red flag to me that Stevie Eiserman's a pretty shrewd guy, put together championship teams in Tampa Bay. What was it? The Red Wings saw that they were willing to part with a relatively young right shot defenseman and sort of let the bottom fall out of their season ultimately. And they played themselves down standings, you know, after the trade deadline where the Canucks, you know, they made the biggest acquisition of any of those teams below the 
or you know down in the in the bottom and then got Demko back and certainly leaned on Pedersen and Hughes and were pushing for wins every night. So that part doesn't still all these weeks later doesn't fully add up for me. Like, what was it in this player that the Red Wings saw that they were willing to move? Because most teams you'd think would want to keep a 25 year old right yeah. shot defenseman that can play in all situations for you. So look, it, it was a need for the Canucks. They do address it like they couldn't have gone another year and thought what they've got on the right side was good enough. So they elected to spend the draft capital. And at that point, that truly signaled that this was not any sort of rebuild. This was not a strip it down. This was a retool. And we'll see how it pays off. What do you think happens with this first round pick that they got now? I mean, obviously, yeah. we see where the where the balls fall. Yeah. First, right, 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 right. Yeah. But if they fall, like we think they will. And I'll tell you what. I got Tankathon open right now. We'll do a live one. Rear ERs right now. The Canucks finished 11th. Hey, there you there go. You go. Washington uh, won it, by the way. With Washington won it. Oh. Yeah. Philadelphia was second with 6.5%. Uh-huh. You've traded one first rounder here for Philip Ronick. So you've kind of signaled you're willing to do it. Again, I just like I want to believe for the long term good of this hockey club that elite level talent is found near the top of the draft, even if it means picking 11th. In theory, you should still be able to find a very good hockey player for years to come at that point in the draft. You've traded away a first to get JT Miller. You've traded away a first to get Connor Garland and OEL. You've traded away a first to get Philip Ronick. Like again, these are moves that teams that are right there on the cusp of winning the Stanley Cup, like that's the draft capital you spend to add a few pieces to put you over the top. And yet there are the Canucks way down at the bottom and have been there for far too long. So that part doesn't fully add up. And the idea of doing it again, a fourth first rounder here in the last handful of years, like just feels like crazy talk to me. But they don't have a lot of tradable assets. And so you know, if you come back to that discussion. I, I guess I can't rule it out entirely, but I think in my mind for the good of the hockey club now and in a few years to come, you've got to have young players on entry-level deals that can, you know, provide excess value in those first couple of years of the contracts. And, you know, and Colson hasn't been able to do that. Nils Hoaglander hasn't been able to do that. They kind of flushed all, I mean, kind of, they flushed the entry-level years of Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. And, you know, now they're paying big time for those guys. And obviously you're going to be paying more for, for Petey here if you get a deal done this off season. So I hope that they don't trade their first rounder. I think it would be foolish business on the part of the Vancouver Canucks to part with a fourth first rounder in the last handful of years. Uh, heading into the, talking to the players tomorrow, which uh, you will do. Uh, where do you think the discussion is going to go with Elias Patterson and, and, and a contract extension? Like, do you expect Elias Patterson to sign a full eight year deal with the Canucks? Eight years, I'm not sure. You know, he he seems to me like a a pretty shrewd operator that wants to maintain some control. And I look at a guy like Austin Matthews in Toronto and the deal that he signed. And, you know, he committed to the Leafs for five years. He made a ton of dough. But if it had gone sideways in Toronto, he wasn't locked in for the full eight years. There's nothing to say that he can't re-up with the Leafs again. And yeah. you know, I expect that he will. But I wouldn't be surprised if Elias Pettersson was like, look, I'm going to be 25 in the fall. You know, if I give you, the Canucks, my 25 to 30-year-old, like, you damn well better build this into something. Because I can tell you right now, if I get to the end of this deal and you're still spinning your wheels, I am out of here. 
I think he likes it in Vancouver. I think he likes his teammates for the most part. I think, you know, he has to be encouraged. And I know that he's not going to sit there and pound his own chest, but I think he has to be pretty encouraged with the season that he had. And, you know, he's been patient through it. I think he is going to extend. I just don't know that he'll commit for eight. I, you know, and, and I can't blame him if he doesn't want to give the Canucks a full eight years. That that's locking himself in. I, you know, it wouldn't shock me. Now I know if you can get eight years guaranteed, like that's, you know, we're looking at close to a hundred million dollars, right? Like if he's a eleven million dollar guy, or you know, you're buying his UFA years, like yeah, I mean, I need to a hundred million dollar commitment. If it's an eight year deal, it's an it starts at eleven. If it's if you're going that long, right? So yeah, you know, like I'm being loose with the math, but it's not fifty million. We're, it's closer to a hundred million dollars. He could guarantee, but he could also probably get fifty to fifty five million dollars on a five year deal, and still have another big contract to come beyond that one. So yeah, I don't know. As much as the organization probably would love to lock him in and have the security of a max deal and a commitment and all that kind of stuff, I don't know that the Patterson camp is going to willing to play the game that way four more years for quinn hughes left on his deal after this season so i wonder if there's any sort of attachment to the quinn hughes years for Elias yeah Patterson as and well. i really look at the three years left on demko's deal because five million bucks to get elite level goaltending oh, like that's just a, a steal yeah and and then you know he'll be close to 30 if you have to re-up with him and he looks for a raise like these next three years just absolutely feel vital with the economics, now I know the cap could go up and, and that would help the Canucks, but it would help everybody. But I just looked at Demco deal and then you're right. Hughes has an extra one beyond that left on his current contract. Uh, you know, can they get from here to, to there? And by there, I mean being a legitimate contender over the next three years. And, and you'd like to think with all the dithering this organization has done for so long now that the three more years, like, come on can't remain the way it's been here for however many seasons now. And yet with the contract stopping you think and you tell yourself like can't be true, but it is the Canucks have more salary cap commitments for next season already than any other team in the NHL. And there are 16 teams that have a shot at winning the Stanley cup because they're in the playoffs and the Canucks aren't, and they've allocated more money already than any of those teams that will continue on here in the postseason. like that kind of stuff. Just, want to you know your head against the wall repeatedly like that, that that is tough to stomach i keep thinking that meme of will smith or the fresh prince of bel-air in that last episode where he's sort of sitting around in the mansion looking around where everybody is i wonder if that's going to be jt miller in seven years applewood auto group is celebrating 25 years of business making the car business and our communities better applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car service or to join our team come find out why it's all good at applewood Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. (laughs) 
Rink-Wide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, Canada's choice for free casino games, poker tips, and sports odds. Speaking of Bodog and sports odds, we got Stanley Cup odds here for the Canadian teams. Edmonton as uh, at plus 650, Toronto at plus 900, Winnipeg at plus 3500. J-Pat, I agree with that. I think Edmonton has the best shot out of all the Canadian teams to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was on the Rod Peterson show in late January, and at that point, his poll question was, who's the best Canadian team? And I said Winnipeg at that time, and I I liked what they were doing, the way that they were playing, and then the bottom nearly fell out on the Jets, and they're tough to figure out, and I know they've got Connor Hellebach, and he can be a difference maker and, and is still one of the truly elite goaltenders in the National Hockey League. I wouldn't want to face him in the playoffs, but it just seems like there's so much dysfunction there that I just don't have high hopes. And then I wonder if they're going to have to blow things up in the offseason. And the way the Oilers have come on and the addition of Matthias Ekholm, and I'm, like, I know lots of people in hockey have said it, but it's true. Like That was the right trade for the right team at the right time. Like they needed that player and he has come in seamlessly yeah. and been terrific for them. Stuart Skinner. Yeah. There's going to be questions, but we've seen enough teams here in the cap era, win the cup with adequate goaltending. You don't need a goalie to stand on your head. If you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and the Nuge and Evander Kane and Zach Hyman. And, you know, the, I like the Bukestad deal at the deadline too, like just kind of understated, but you know, help their penalty kill big body, and so, yeah, like they're rounding into form. They've been terrific down the stretch here. I think they'll make relatively quick work of Los Angeles. We won't get into, you know, predictions and stuff here on today's pod, but I just think that their power play is nuclear. Like it, you know, 32% or something like it, just some outrageous number on the season. And you're going to run into like you put sticks and gloves on McDavid. It's going to get calls. They're going to go on the power play. And so I think that, uh, I, I like like I like their chances to get out of the West. I do. Um, Me too. Yep. And then it's a question of attrition in the East. Like, can enough teams chip away at the Boston Bruins? Like, they have to run a gauntlet. There are no easy series, obviously. I think the best thing the Bruins were able to avoid was the New York Islanders. I feel like there, if there's one team that might perhaps be able to get them at a, a in that first round, it was the Islanders just because of the goaltending. Like they, yep. they could just get goalied. Right. And the Islanders are the kind of team that can just shut you down anyway, because they'll get into that defensive mode. But, but I, if, I, and I think they would have beaten the Islanders, but yeah, me too. How, but, 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 yeah. but how much do the Islanders take out of a team as you move forward in the playoffs? Right. Yeah, like totally. ultimately, that was one of the things for the Canucks. And it's not an excuse going back to 2011, but you know, they had to, that first round. Yeah. Like, yeah. They prevailed, the but they played, yep. they also played way more hockey than they had to ultimately. Yep. They had a three nothing series lead, like finish it. And then even the next round in Nashville, they had a chance to, to beat the Predators and finish them in five and they lost at home and they had to go back to Nashville and play another game That's and all right. that travel. And, and I mean, so, that stress it must put on you as well, like exactly. mentally when you're up three buzz against a team that you just haven't been able to get over. Totally. Like, yeah. And the fact that they were able to get over it was fantastic, but you're right. Like that takes a big chunk out of you. So, yeah, you're right. And with a team like Boston, I mean, everything is the pressure's on them. Oh, and they got 135 points. They won 65 freaking games. They finished the season winning eight in a row. Like, ridiculous. I what think about there's what, also a, an element of pressure that doesn't get talked about? Like, the Bruins went all in sort of to cement the legacy of Patrice Bergeron this season. Like, this might be it. This he, he could absolutely walk away from the game and skate straight into the Hall of Fame and everything else. If they were to get to another Stanley Cup and lose, though, 
Like this guy's career is impeccable, but he won the cup in 2011, didn't win it again in 2013 or 15, whenever they played the Blackhawks. Uh, I believe, yeah. Then lost to St. Louis in a game seven on home ice in the Stanley Cup final. And yeah. now, th- like, and like for all the incredible things that Ian Marchand and that core group, like imagine if they ended up going one and three in Stanley Cup finals. They would still be Stanley Cup champs. You can't take that away and it'll forever hurt here in Vancouver. But, you know, at the same time, like, it would feel like a massive underachievement, really, to get four cracks of the cup and, and only get it right once the first time and then lose it three more times. So I do think that there's sort of some pressure on them in that sense that it's been this dream season. They got Krejci back. They've, you know, as a team, they've just been locked in. Since day one, they went out, they got in, you know, Hampus Lindholm last year, all the pieces that they traded for this year. So, yeah, you damn well right that there is a ton of pressure on these guys and and pressure does some strange things to athletes. It just, it does. We've seen it repeatedly. So they can be the favorites, but it's up to them to back all that up and actually go out there and get it done. More pressure on them. The Bruins or the Leafs? (laughs) Yeah. In the short term, the Leafs to to get out of the round, the first round. And, and that's a Tampa team that, they're for the taking right now, but like it is Toronto in the first round. And it's yep. Tampa and they've got the yep. championship yep. chops and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know, like there's just enough warning signs there that this Tampa team isn't quite the Tampa team of the last few years. So but you win that first round and then what do you got after that? Right. Boston problem. So (laughs) good luck with that. Okay. We're going to do a playoff pool. We're going to put out a video of it. We'll explain it all in the video, but uh, yeah, we'll, we're going to do that. So look out for that on our socials coming up soon. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Time now for our final players of the week and who we have in the rink-wide penalty box. And it's presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at jason.morgans. I would like to lead off if you don't mind. Yeah, by all means. I feel like we, I don't even know if we've had a goaltender as our player of the week. Maybe at some point, maybe Spencer Martin Mm. once. I can't remember. Maybe I'm thinking about last year. But anyway, got that, I got Thatcher Demko as my player of the week. He went 2-0. He had a 192 uh, goals against average. Love this. A 949 save percentage. Of course, he spoiled the Flames' comeback last Saturday. Stopped all the shooters in the shootout. 41 saves in that one. Got an assist <laughs> yep. in the Ducks game. I mean, Thatcher Demko of old is back. If there are some positives to take out of this last little stretch for the Canucks under Rick Tockett, it is that Thatcher Demko is back in form. And if he is this player next year, they got a damn good chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, and we mentioned on the post game the other night, like I thought he was really good in Anaheim. Breakaway save in the first period and then a couple of those uh, point-blank chances off Silverberg and the power play in the third with the game hanging in the balance. So good call there, even though if he doesn't play the you know, the, the final night of the regular season, still enough of a body of work for the week for him to be player of the week. I can't move beyond Elias Pettersson getting to 100 yeah. points. I mean, that was the storyline down the stretch, and he got there in Anaheim, and then he added to it uh, with a goal to open the scoring in Arizona, finished the season with 39 goals and 102 points, an amazing year. And, and beyond those gaudy point totals, 
it was the fact that he rounded out the rest of his game and brought an element of offense to the penalty kill that we just haven't seen here, you know, in my memory. I can't remember the Canucks being that aggressive on the penalty kill. By the way, their penalty kill, it finished above 70. We charged that all season. It also... But it also finished, yeah. But it also finished dead last. <laughs> oh. So exactly, sad trombone afterwards. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So so don't get excited about it getting over seventy because it still finished dead last. But Elias Patterson, he had lots of weeks where he was the guy, and so it kind of feels fitting that uh, team MVP that came out on Saturday in that final home game. I got Elias Pettersson as my player of the week. I keep saying it. Model his game after Mitch Marner. They're very, very similar players. The two-way game is elite right now with Elias Pettersson. I love the season that he's had. Very interested to see where this goes. I know that we did a poll question where we asked the people, you know, we set the over-under at 102.5 for Elias Pettersson's point total for next year. And I think people, majority of the people were taking the over on it. Yes, it was. It was 59.9%. But there are some people that are like, no, lock that in. Like, that's the guy. That's what he's going to be over the next few years. Don't know if I can go there. However, when you look at the league and you look at the uh, scoring leaders and how many guys put up 100 points this year, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe that is. Maybe this is going to be the norm. You know, not only for Elias Patterson, but for a handful of players in the league as well. And you see what McDavid's doing with 150. You wonder, hey, can he go higher? Right. So I'm interested to see where all of that goes in the penalty box this week. I don't even know if this should be a two minute minor. It might be a five minute major because I don't know where this guy's future holds, not only with the Canucks, but in the National Hockey League. Vitaly Kravtsov played two games, took the penalty that led to Calgary tying the game. Healthy scratch twice. Aiden McDonough's getting in over him like an NCAA college player getting in over him. He's an RFA at the end of the year. Like what do the Canucks do with this player? Yeah, good call. For the weekly penalty box, just the entire body of work after being acquired by the Rangers. And again, the acquisition cost, I had no problem with him rolling the dice. But he ended up playing 16 games for the Canucks, had a goal and an assist. Jeez. And the goal bounced in off Seth Jones on the power play. Right. So so nothing at five on five and got a chance to play up in the lineup with Elias Pettersson. That didn't last long. I mean, the penalty that he took that you referenced, that was a crappy call. But Sure, but it's but still. Yeah. It, yeah, no, it happened. and. Again, you just just want to see a guy dig in. And you would have thought the trade would have been a wake-up call. It's what he wanted. He wanted out of New York. This was an opportunity. All the fellow Russians, a Russian coach, and Sergey Gonchar, and, and nothing. So, yeah, you know, he's 23. You think I'll find him? I, I don't know. Like That's going to be a decision for the organization. I, and I, if they don't, I can't say that I blame them. It just doesn't feel like there's anything there like he might be a guy that's best suited to go back to russia and you know make some money and keep playing pro hockey but i don't know that he's cut out for the national hockey league so he's gonna spend the entire summer in the rink white penalty box that's tough man that's harsh but uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> it's a big thing yeah <laughs> i tread lightly on my penalty box and some of it comes from expectation and failing to meet those. I'm going to finish with Dakota Joshua in the penalty box. And he was a good news story for the Canucks. He was a nice find. They rolled the dice. They saw something there, brought him in his first full season in the National Hockey League. But he did not finish with any sort of flourish. Ten games without a goal. The final ten games without a goal. Now, under Rick Tockett, he had 14 points in 36 games, which isn't terrible. And he did become a penalty killer. So, again, there's lots to like there. I just, for him, it's a consistency thing from game to game and, you know, week to week. And he finished a little too quiet for me. I still think that I want him to embrace the fact that he can be a physical force. 
Yeah. And, you know, sometimes for a big guy, there were just too many nights where he didn't seem like he wanted or there was a willingness to play the physical side of the game. And I don't know if in his mind he sees himself more of a, you know, a scorer now because he had some elements of that to his game. And he scored some pretty goals this year. And his last goal, the, the last goal they scored was that shorthanded goal in Dallas where, you know, walked in, picked his spot, snapped it short side. Like, you know, he's got hands. But as Rick talking has said a couple of times, like, you know, he'll be able to pay the mortgage for years if he recognizes what he is and doesn't stray too far from that. And so, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a 25 goal scorer. I don't think he's going to be a power play guy necessarily, certainly not on the first unit. Like at that size, he's got to be a cruncher and they don't have enough of that. And so it's a role that he can fill on this hockey team. And it just sort of felt like that got away from him a little bit down the stretch. So in totality, it was a good year for him. I think he's got lots to build on. He can be a part of what they're putting together here. But I didn't think he finished particularly strong. So for that reason, I'm putting him in the box. Two minutes, we'll let him out uh, so that he can have the big summer of training. But two-minute minor for Dakota Joshua at the end of the season. What do you think his ceiling is as a, as a hockey player in this league? Uh, I would say third-line kind of guy. You know, he ended up scoring 11 goals. And those 11 goals came. Like, Nils on. remember the struggles that he had most of the first half. They had that big night in Minnesota, and and then there was really no offense. I, I would say 10 to 15 goals, but being a consistent physical force, a guy that other teams know is on the ice and have to kind of keep their head up that he's going to finish checks, and you know some of his checks are going to, they're going to linger on players, so they're going to feel the effects of, of that kind of stuff. I'd, I'd like to see him play with a little bit more edge to his game rather than looking sometimes like he's just content to be in the National Hockey League. So, um, you know, he's 26 going on 27 here. You know, it's unlikely that he's going to overhaul his game. I think, you know, we've seen the basic structure of who he is and, and what he's likely to be. But I think now that he's got a coach that believes in him and can, can and help him, you know, I think he can round out his game with consistency. That That to me is, you know, find the 10 best games that he played this year and be closer to that on the regular rather than those games standing out as any sort of outlier. That would that would be an improvement for me for Dakota Joshua next year. Yeah, I think that yeah, again, big season for Dakota Joshua ahead. See if he can take that next step and really solidify himself, like get himself in this league. Cause right now he's still making I don't want to say peanuts, but you know, eight hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars at the NHL level is not, you know, anything to really write home about. I'd like to make eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. No, but right have now, a, but... like you know, take it as motivation, have a big yeah. year and sign a contract. Yeah, right? get yourself like... a couple mil season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, fantasy draft update. Oh, uh, boy. It was in it was in the bag. Like I already I'd already won it, but let's let's finish it off. I had a fifteen point week to cap it all off. So I finished off with two hundred and seven points as my team. You had a three point week and you capped it off with hundred and eighty two points. This is interesting though, because we shared Elias Patterson, JT Miller, and Quinn Hughes, and we split their seasons in half. We actually even had chance to choose what we wanted. And you chose just by chance, all the first halves of Hughes, Petey and Miller. So Hughes has 36 points in his first half. Petey has 50. Miller has 37. They all improved in the second half, which is funny because like they were scoring a lot more under Bruce Boudreau as well. Right. But Hughes ends up with 40 points in the second half. Petey with 52. Miller, nice jump up plus eight to 45 in the second half. So I win this and we knew that already. 
And of course, the fantasy draft is presented by our buddies, the Delaney's out at OK Tire and Fraser Highway in Langley. So I had to choose the charity that I was going to have you donate to, and I'm going to match that donation myself as well. And we have some listeners that are going to as well. I'm cho- I've chosen the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And the reason why I chose it, JPAD, is we've seen through the actions of some around the NHL that hockey, it's got a really long way to go before, you know, it truly is for everybody. So there truly is, you know, full acceptance, diversity, et cetera. I think the HDA is a program that is helping, you know, work towards that goal. But again, you know, it's going to take the actions and, you know, maybe some understanding of others as well. And I I do understand there's politics involved for some, you know, maybe there's, you know, the question of religion for others, but at the same time too, it's all about acceptance. And I think what we saw this year from some of the players around the league, it's unacceptable. And to me, I I just think it's ridiculous. You know, you, you need to prove that hockey is for everybody. I don't think we did that this year in the NHL. So hopefully this donation can go, you know, further into being able to make that stronger. And, and hopefully uh, the HDA is the type of program that can, can achieve those goals. Good call. Good cause. I wish it was as simple as my 50 bucks. True. Solve all these issues. Yep. Uh, I know that it won't, but you're right. Hopefully it can, uh, and it'll be matched by you and, and our listeners and anybody else that uh, wants to jump on board in the name of rink wide Vancouver. We certainly would encourage that. Uh, and it all helps uh, and they are doing terrific work. So happy that that's the choice that you made and, uh, pleased to, to make my donation. And I will do that here in short order. And I congratulate you on winning the fantasy draft. It actually worked out pretty well. Like we were just looking to do something a little different by splitting the seasons. And we knew that those guys, rather than picking, you know, entire seasons from the Canucks, I mean, they're bound to be the three guys that were going to rise to the occasion. So it was something unique. I don't think that I've seen it done anywhere else. Yeah. And it was kind of funny the way it worked. You know, it wasn't like we assigned, I'll take the first half, you take the second. It's just, that's how it played out. We wondered at the time about the softer schedule in the second half, but fatigue didn't know there'd be a coaching change and perhaps a coaching bump. So, you know, there were some nuance to it all, but, you know, I think it speaks to the consistency level of those three guys that, you know, they had good starts to the season, but even better finishes. And that's, again, the great disappointment in all of this for the Canucks is that these incredible individual accomplishments mean absolutely nothing to the team. And it's funny too, because after that first half, after the first 41 games were done, you know, we looked at the numbers and went, boy, that's going to be tough for PD to match 50 points. Right. And then he ends up 52 in the second half. But we, I think we thought that Hughes and Miller were both going to go up Hughes with 36 and, and Miller with 37 in the first half. And, and, and they did that as well. But also too, if you're sitting there going, well, wait, that math doesn't work out. We also had a player that we got to keep each. I was able to keep Bo Horvat. It's a bit complicated with J-Pat because oh, he had let's Demko. Just say, let's yeah. just say I thought I was so smart. I had the first pick, and I thought, oh, yeah, Demko, 33 wins last year. Two he's going to double. Yeah. They're not double it, but he's yeah. going to go higher than that. I didn't think Horvat would be a 70-point guy, and then he went out and scored all the goals in the, yeah. in the first half. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the injury to Demko sunk the Canucks. It also ultimately sunk me yeah. in this thing, but. Now, congrats, you uh, end up winning this year's fantasy draft. But I lost this, and like I said on the postgame pod last night, I got cocky. You know, I should have just stuck with the fantasy draft. I was going to win it. It was in the clear. But I decided to bet you on a Beauvillier versus Beauhorvat in terms of how many goals they would each score 
since joining their new team and Beauvillier wins it. He scores nine goals since he joins the Canucks. Bo Horvat just gets just seven. Now he's going to the playoffs. So he does have that Islander fans love him after what he said to them as well. But again, I'm going to, I've lost that. So I'm going to do the one chip challenge. I've got to eat that chip. Not looking forward to that. Again, we will have that out on our social media at some point here. We got to, I got to get the chip. I don't really know where to get it. You got to train for that. You got to build up to that. So, yeah. Maybe just start start eating hot stuff like every day. Just sort of bring up the heat a little bit more and more and see. I do like hot food, though. Maybe I'll just crush it. Who knows? I'll eat bags of chips as compassion (laughs) as your companion, but they won't be the chip that we talked about here. Okay. Lastly, these are the last the Dutch gift certificates that we got to give away. And many thanks to our friends at the Dutch. It's just been a fantastic partner with us all year and the people love this too i mean who doesn't love getting the dutch gift certificates given to them so we had four to give away the hashtags were doggy win that's a three two shout out win over the flames hashtag royal blanking three nothing loss to the kings hashtag he did it three two win over the ducks and hashtag rink wide thanks you the five four ot win over the coyotes steve cassidy new west tyler sherwood surrey christian harold Port Murray, Moody, <laughs> Murray, <laughs> and uh, Chris Dick of Richmond. Y'all are taking home the final GCs of the year to the Dutch. And of course, check them out at the Dutch.com. They are BC's best breakfast. All right. Forgot about Doggy Win. That was because uh, they had the Doggy Race in the That's right. against Calgary. So yeah. I was like, Doggy Win. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, Demko. Delilah, Delilah Demko was the, the winner again. Demko's crushing it that yeah. night. We'll continue to crush it here through the offseason for you guys as well. And yeah, big day tomorrow. We'll hear from the play- players from the Canucks as they do their locker clean out. But the Canucks season now, of course, is officially done so we'll move on to the offseason and a lot of the offseason news that's ahead of us this has been another edition of the rink wide vancouver podcast presented by bodog for jeff patterson i'm andrew wadden remember rink wide is the show that always spins <laughs>